Hello, and welcome to the Otaku Fromagerie. Episode 2, Little Witch Academia and Trebon. The show that I'm talking about this week is called Little Witch Academia. It's a two-season, light-hearted children's adventure show about a girl named Akko, who is starting school at the prestigious academy for young witches, Luna Nova. The catch is that Akko comes from a non-magical family and is barely able to use magic at all. In the first episode, though, she stumbles across a powerful magical artifact that just so happened to have been used by her idol, Shiny Chariot, who, spoiler alert, just so happens to be a teacher at Luna Nova. It's not really a spoiler. The show gives you tons of hints about it. You just don't officially find out until later in the season. Also, if that sounds like the backstory for Deku in My Hero Academia, i.e. goes to prestigious superpower school despite having no powers, inherits a power from his favorite hero, and then is mentored by that hero at school, you're not the only person who's thought that. I almost wonder if the name Little Witch Academia is a subtle nod to My Hero Academia. And, apparently, according to tvtropes.org, it's not uncommon to see Deku and Akko paired up in crossover ship fanfiction. Not that I have read any of those, I just happened to see that fact while doing my research for this podcast episode. If I had to summarize the gist of the show, I'd say it's like if you took equal parts Harry Potter, My Hero Academia, and any Disney princess film, blended it together, and made a smoothie pop out of it. Simple, sweet, and inoffensive. Just like me. Now, you may have noticed from that summary that Little Witch Academia is a very different anime from Parasite, the horror-tinged sci-fi action-adventure show that I reviewed last time. And you might be wondering why I chose Little Witch Academia to watch and review next. The answer to that question is that I really didn't know anything about the show before I started watching it, other than that it was produced by Studio Trigger, which produced Kill la Kill, one of my top five favorite animes. Kill la Kill is violent, vulgar, vengeful, and absolutely brilliant. So when I saw that there are two other Studio Trigger shows on Netflix, Little Witch Academia and BNA Brand New Animal, I immediately put them on my watch list. What I didn't know, but I quickly realized once I started watching Little Witch Academia, is that animation studios in Japan don't necessarily produce all of their content for the same target audience. American companies focus their shows or movies on a specific genre or age range. So, if you see one Disney movie, you kind of have a sense of what to expect from all Disney movies. Same thing with DreamWorks or Adult Swim. Adult Swim is obviously targeting a different age group, namely 18 to 35 year old males, but all of their content is oriented towards that demographic. In contrast, Japanese anime studios seem to be much more demographically promiscuous, if you will. They're much more likely to produce a broad range of content, ranging from action-adventure, romantic comedy, slice-of-life, all of which might be aimed at different age ranges and genders. I noticed two studios whose content was actually more restricted, Gainax makes action-adventure shonen anime, and Kyoto Animation makes cutesy rom-com shoujo shows, but those two companies seem to be the exception rather than the norm. As it turns out, 
Little Witch Academia has a different director than Kill La Kill. So I suspect that who the production staff is on a show is probably more informative RE style and target audience than the studio that it came out of. In this case, Yoshinori Yo directed Little Witch Academia, and Hiroyuki Imaishi was responsible for Kill la Kill. Anyway, moving on to the backstory of Little Witch Academia. As is common with many animes, the TV show on Netflix was not the original incarnation of the story. It was actually the third, or fifth in this case if you're also counting manga. The first iteration was an animated short film released in 2013 and was Yoshinori Yo's directing debut. The film was funded by the Young Animator Training Project, which is an initiative by the Japanese Agency for Cultural Affairs to support young artists and help get them started in their career. Each year, several studios receive a grant that is earmarked for hiring novice animators to work on a short film. In an interview, Yoshinori explained that Akko's character was actually designed to be relatable for the junior animators. She was inspired to become a witch by her hero, Shiny Chariot, just as a new artist might have been inspired by a show that they saw when they were younger. A quote from him reads, Akko's like someone who joined the industry out of passion, but without actual technique, so she can't draw clean lines for in-between frames. Yet she has that egocentric confidence about being able to draw good keyframes despite that. We wanted to transpose that idea in a wizard story. Little Witch Academia, the short film, was the result, and it was so well received that the same year, Studio Trigger started making plans for a second short film, Little Witch Academia, The Enchanted Parade, which they released in 2015. There were also short standalone mangas released after each film. Interestingly, Wikipedia tells me that the first manga was published in Ultra Jump, a seinen magazine, and the second manga was published in Ribbon, a shoujo magazine. I, I'm not going to go into the details of what seinen and shoujo mean. All you really need to know is that seinen manga is targeted at college-age males, and shoujo manga is targeted at teenage girls. So, the fact that Little Witch Academia manga was originally published in a seinen magazine, and then two years later it was released in a shoujo magazine, suggests that they were trying to do a pretty serious rebranding to switch their target demographic from adult men to teenage girls. I didn't read the manga, so I can't comment on how it may have changed, but I did watch the short film, and there was definitely a difference in tone between it and the TV show. The film had all of the same characters, but instead of going on silly adventures and learning about the power of friendship, they were in a dungeon, slaying monsters and collecting loot with low-key sword art online vibes. There was even a scene where Sushi, Akko's poison master roommate, gives a monster a poison that literally makes it melt into a puddle of flesh, and then it keeps on melting a hole through the floor into the ceiling of the room below. The film doesn't really develop the characters very much, and mostly focuses on magical combat between the girls and the monsters that they're fighting. In contrast to the TV show, which is much more about friendship and believing in yourself, and although there is some fighting, it's much more cartoony and silly than in the film. I didn't find any information on why Studio Trigger changed the target audience for the TV show, 
but I would guess that the short film ended up being much more popular with teenage girls than they were expecting and probably less popular with college-aged men. So they changed direction to cater more toward the audience that was actually watching the films. But anyway, as interesting as I'm sure those tangents were, we're not here to talk about Studio Trigger or the short film. We're here to talk about Little Witch Academia, the TV show. So, how was it? Frankly, I wasn't that impressed by the first season. There's an overarching story, but the show didn't do a great job of tying all of the episodes into that story. There were several one-shot episodes that didn't advance the larger plot, didn't help contextualize the story, and just spent a lot of time introducing new characters who would never show up again after that. There is a separate side plot about Luna Nova, the witch's school, running out of money, but it only comes up a couple times, and that side plot doesn't even show up in the second season. Also, I think really well-constructed children's shows and movies can still be enjoyable for adults who are watching, because of subtle jokes or references that children won't pick up on, but adults will. For example, in Monsters, Inc., there's the grouchy admin who reminds Mike Wazowski to hand in his paperwork, or in Zootopia, the sloths who work at the DMV. There's also the song Hellfire from Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. That is a dark song with heavy sexual connotations, but as one of my friends recently noted, when I was younger, I just thought, wow, that's a lot of fire. But now I'm like, wow, this is a really dark song to have in a Disney musical. Also, the opening montage to Up is absolutely heartbreaking, and children, I think, would understand that it's a sad scene, but they're not old enough to appreciate the pain of losing a child, losing your life partner, and dying without ever achieving your lifelong dream and passion. I mean, I don't even have any of those three things, much less have I lost them, and I still teared up re-watching that scene. Little Witch Academia, at least in the first season, doesn't really have anything like that. The second season, though, I think they did a better job with all around. The episodes still frequently feel like one-shots, but they're better incorporated into the overarching story. The show also spends more time featuring supporting characters from the main cast instead of introducing new ones. The storyline gets a little bit darker, and there's more content that adults can enjoy. One example of this is in the first episode of the second season, the fairies, who are responsible for doing all the housekeeping, facilities, maintenance at the school, the blue-collar jobs, essentially, form a union and go on strike. They want to get paid a higher portion of the school's magical energy, so they block off the energy supply to the school until the issue is resolved. Everyone is sitting around in the cold in the dark, so Akko goes and talks to the fairies to try and convince them to come back to work. But she ends up being the one convinced by the par- fairies and she joins them in the strike. One of her friends asks why, and is like, don't you want to learn magic? We can't do that while they're blocking the supply. And Akko says, yes, of course I want to learn magic, but remember that episode in season one when the magic supply was stolen entirely? All the fairies got really weak and couldn't even move because they didn't have that energy sustaining them. For us, using magic is a privilege, but for the fairies, it's a necessity. Their lives are at stake. Just that by itself is a lot heavier than anything that was in the first season. In the same episode, though, there's two students who really want to take a bath with hot water, so they bribe a fire spirit with a log of wood to heat up the pipes for them. 
and the adorable little fire spirit nibbling on a log image is totally a reference to Calcifer in Howl's Moving Castle. Anyway, the fairy union leaders find out about this, and they go punish the fire spirit by throwing a bucket of water on him. They beat up the strike breaker, which then starts a riot between the students and fairies, and all of this is happening in the first episode. It definitely sets the tone for the second season. It's still very much a lighthearted children's show, but the themes are a little darker, and there's more content that adults can appreciate. One of the main plot lines in this show as a whole is Akko's quest to rediscover the seven ancient spells needed to activate the shiny rod. The incantation for each of the spells is magical gibberish, of course, but their translations are inspirational adages like patience is a virtue, or you don't get what you dream for, you get what you work for, things like that. In order to cast the spell, not only do you have to recite the incantation, but you also have to feel the meaning in your heart at the same time. All of the spells and incantations are about personal growth and development, so it's ironic that as Akko is discovering the meaning of all these spells over the course of the show, her character really doesn't change or grow at all. And the show itself comments on that. At one point, one of her teachers says to her, why are you in such a rush to do this thing? Didn't you already learn about how patience is a virtue? Instead, as with many other shows, the protagonist with the unflappable, self-confident, upbeat spirit is actually the foil against whom we see all the other characters in the show change. Like in Haikyuu, for example, where Hinata doesn't change much over the course of the series, but we see Kagayama, Tsukishima, Yamaguchi, and everyone else grow and develop partially because of their interactions with him. Same thing in My Hero Academia. Deku's character stays fairly consistent, but Bakugo, Todoroki, Ururaka, Iida, the list goes on, they all change a lot. To be clear, the character development in Little Witch Academia is nowhere near as good as in Haikyuu or My Hero Academia, but the relationship between the protagonist and everyone else in the cast is similar between all three shows. I haven't really talked much about the literary aspects of the show, mostly because I just couldn't find that much to work with. I, I mean, it's a kid's show, so there isn't that much complexity to talk about. It's teenage witches going on adventures, believing in themselves, and trying to make the world a better place. Little Witch Academia defied my expectations in a number of ways. First, as I explained earlier, I was expecting a show like Kill la Kill, vulgar and violent, but instead I ended up watching a wholesome children's show. After a bland first season, I had resigned myself to trudging through the second, but I was pleasantly surprised by a more cohesive plotline, better writing for adult viewers, and a really excellent finale that actually had me smiling along with the characters. I wanted a cheese that would reflect this pleasantly surprising experience, so I asked my local cheesemonger for a recommendation that would also defy my expectations. For example, by having a different flavor profile than you would expect based on the type of milk or mode of production. He suggested several different cheeses, and the one I chose was Trebon from Boston Post Dairy. Boston Post Dairy is located in Enosburg Falls, Vermont, at the northern edge of the state, just a few miles south of the Canadian border. The name Boston Post has nothing to do with the newspaper. Instead, 
It's because the Boston Post Road runs right through the middle of the property. The road was originally used as a mail route during the colonial period, and the route started in Boston, hence the name Boston Post Road. The dairy is an offshoot of the Gervais family dairy farm, which was founded in 1962 by Ricky and Giselle Gervais. The couple went on to have 15 children, 11 of whom still work on the farm, and each of them specializes in a different area of expertise. For example, Larry looks after feeds and crops. Charles is in charge of mechanics and crop harvesting. Clement calls the shots on cows and barns. And Paul presides over young stock and calves. The cheese-making facility is a newer addition to the farm and was started in 2007 by the four daughters, Susan, Anne, Annette, and Teresa. They have a small storefront where the dairy sells its cheese, as well as cheese-adjacent products, like goat's milk soaps and lotions, and maple-flavored treats made with syrup from the family's sugar bush. Fun fact, a sugar bush is the technical term for a stand of maple trees used to produce maple syrup. They also have an online shop where they sell all of these products and more, including a small but excellent selection of books featuring classics such as Dave Miller's Home Brewing Guide, 400 Reusable Horse Stickers, and How to Speak Chicken. As for the cheese itself, Très Bon. And just to clarify, Très Bon is actually the name of the cheese. I'm not just saying that it's very good in French. Trebon is an unpasteurized goat cheese aged for a few months in a thin wax rind. I got a quarter pound wedge and my slice was about three and a half inches tall and four and a half inches long. The interior of the cheese was an eggshell color that became somewhat more translucent as you moved outwards towards the rind. Now, young goat cheeses tend to be sharp musky, and creamy, like a log of fresh chevre, and as they age, those flavors start to mellow and morph into other flavors as the fermentation process works its magic. Trebon is a young goat cheese, so I would expect it to still have the piquant, goaty characteristics associated with that age range. Instead, I was surprised by a cheese that was delicate and savory, with just a touch of earthiness. Its aroma was salty, Creamy, a little grassy, with just a hint of sweetness. The middle of the cheese has a light, nutty, effervescent, and slightly salty flavor with notes of freshly cut wood and leather, but in a good way. The texture was friable. It wasn't as crumbly as feta, but you could easily break off pieces with your fingers. The outer portion had a firmer, chewier texture and a more mild flavor with notes of citrus and a a faint metallic taste. For a beverage pairing, I would recommend an Albarino or a Muscadet. Those are both mild-bodied white wines with flavors that are more mineral and herbal than floral and fruity. If you're more of a beer person, I'd go with a dry wheat beer. The Boston Post Dairy website wrote that the cheese pairs well with sparkling cinder wines and pale ales. I think that recommendation hasn't been updated in a while though, so I would take it with a grain of salt. Final recommendations. Little Witch Academia is a sweet, wholesome, family-friendly children's show. It starts out slow, but really hits its stride in the second season. 
if you've been trying to find some age-appropriate anime content outside of just Pokemon and Totoro, this is a great option. If you're an adult, but your favorite movie genre is Disney, you should give the show a try. If you don't fall into either of those two categories, you can probably pass on Little Witch Academia. That's not because it's a bad show, though. It's a very well-made show. It's just intended for children, and I think that that demographic is who would appreciate it the most. For the cheese, Très Bon was actually Très Bon. A lightly aged goat cheese with just the right combination of saltiness and savoriness. So good that even my friend who doesn't even like cheese said that she liked this one. At $24 a pound, it isn't cheap. But if you want a cheese that will make you rethink what cheese can be, then it's worth every penny. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you want more content like this, be sure to like, subscribe, and share with all your friends. See you next time at the Otaku Fromagerie.